broadcasting live from the Raiders practice facility at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center. This is the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, presented by Tequila Embajador. What's good, Raider Nation? Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio. 9.20 a.m. on a Wednesday, and a big Wednesday it was, it is. Uh, we finally got a chance to look at the 2021 Raiders, where it stands right now as of May 26th, 2021. Uh, the Raiders were on the field for day two of phase three uh, of OTAs. Uh, got a good chance, about an hour or so, uh, to watch this group of Raiders uh, out there working uh, on the field. And uh, 83 of 89 players uh, were uh, present and accounted for. We'll get into uh, a couple of the players that, that weren't here, maybe why uh, they weren't here. But a good productive day uh, today for the Raiders uh, and for us in the media to be able to finally get a look uh, at what this group looks like at this point in the process. Really encouraged. Uh, and I think Raider Nation should be with the attendance. Remember, it wasn't a month ago or so uh, that uh, the Raiders, like every other team or most teams in the NFL, had a vote. Uh, at the behest of the Players Union, put out a statement indicating that they were going to um, boycott the in-person uh, portion of OTAs, which is literally what we're talking about right now, um, for whatever reason and whatever agenda, as, as uh, uh, Richie Incognito uh, termed it today, whatever the agenda was for the NFL Players Association. Um, but I never took that vote all that seriously, just in the reporting that I did and um, the people that I was able to talk to. Uh, I always felt, and I've said this all along, that that vote was out of obligation, out of quote-unquote respect uh, to the union and to kind of follow their lead. But I think individually, players had decisions to make on their own, what was right for them not necessarily the union, whatever for whatever you know agenda the, the union um, leaders had in mind, but individual players had their own uh, stories and their own journeys to worry about and their own situations to uh, to be more concerned with, and that's getting better as a player. That's putting yourself in line, uh, whether it's to win a starting job or to hold on to a starting job or to win a job on a roster. Um, and to further your career and put yourself in a better position uh, to earn a contract, a second contract. And yes, absolutely, all of that, everything that I just mentioned, all of that when done in an individual way for individual purposes turns out to be something that's good collectively for the team. And make no mistake, this team, this Raiders team, uh, a young team that has been close the last couple of years, last year in particular. And when I say close, uh, and Clee Farrell, when we talked to him uh, today, kind of uh, laid this out, they've been close in that they've been in positions at certain points of the year, going into the second half of seasons, to make playoff runs. And, and last year in particular, their failure to punch their ticket, their failure to close out strong, uh, by losing games that they – realistically should have won three in particular, the Chiefs, the um, uh, Buffalo or the Miami Dolphins and the Los Angeles Chargers, three wins down the stretch that they were in position to win, but couldn't close the deal. And those wins haunted their playoff uh, chase. And so when Cleve Farrell says we're close, that's what he means. 
uh, being able to close those type of games out when you need to have it, when you need to make a play. And the Raiders do believe they're close. They're closer than you think uh, and that maybe people think. But they're not there yet. And this time of year, putting the work in, putting the necessary work in, especially with a new defensive coordinator, especially with uh, a, a, a new, newish offensive line that has three new starters um, and some breaking in a first-year starter and Andre James at center and obviously Alex Leatherwood, uh, the rookie right tackle, um, they need that work. That The work that they're putting in now puts them in a better position in the second half of next season, if they're so fortunate to be in a position where uh, they can, you know, uh, are in line if they if they finish strong to to punch their ticket to the playoffs, to to enhance that spot, to enhance that position, and be able to take advantage uh, of that same kind of a situation, you got to get the work in now. And so, you know, and talking to Richie Incognito and talking about how, yeah, we 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 did the whole vote thing. We put the whole statement out there. Remember, you know, due to uh, you know uh, COVID nineteen, out of out of you know um, prudence for safety and da 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 da. And last year we went through a season without OTAs. We'll do all the things that we did last year virtually. Blah 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 blah. That the union basically wrote for this team. In spite of that, the team got together about a day or two later and amongst themselves said, "Hey, look, this is about competitive balance right now." There's other teams that are going to be out there working. We can't surrender any competitive uh, advantage that we might have because we're not going to go out there and work or we're just going to listen to the union and follow their lead and their agenda uh, on this. The Raiders have their own agenda, and that's trying to make the playoffs for the first time uh, you know, since 2016 and really put themselves in a position to be a successful franchise long-term for the first time in a long time. So they got together and said, as Richie Incognito said, it's time to go get our you-know-what's back in the building uh, and get to work. And that's exactly what they're doing right now, um, and it's exactly what happened today. Uh, I've got plenty of observations. I want your calls uh, when you uh, when you get a chance. Uh, give us a call if there's any particular player that you want to hear about, any particular position group uh, that, that you want to hear about. Uh, we've got you covered on all that. We've got a bunch of sound. We were able to talk to Richie Incognito. We were able to talk to uh, Cleve Farrell. Uh, we were able to talk to Jonathan Abram and Max Crosby. And Max Crosby, by the way, um, looks to be in tremendous shape. Um, you know, unbeknownst to us, to anybody really, and I, and I asked him about this, and he kept this on a pretty good down low last year. He was playing hurt. He had a, um, what was it, a torn labrum, and there was a, uh, a metal plate in one of his hands that broke. And he was playing with that. I don't know how long he was playing with it, but all, all I do know is that he needed surgery uh, to, to, uh, to get things fixed up after the season. And it was like one of those, he posts the picture, like, whoa, didn't even know that he was dealing um, you know, with, uh, with those type of situations. And, and here's the thing. And this is why you have to be careful when you're calling dudes out and you're, you know, being overly critical. And in some cases, you know, when you see on Twitter just flat-out viciousness uh, by some fans, you don't know 100% of the time, you don't know what a player might be dealing with. Now, sometimes it's, you know, just a talent issue and the guy's not good enough and, you know, the, you, you go find a replacement for, for that player. Um, but... 
you know, the, the criticism, you have to be careful uh, with it because you don't always know what the backstory might be. And I've been critical of Max Crosby. And now I look back at some of the things, you know, that, 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 um, you know, that I wrote and that I've said. And it makes me think about some of those things because it puts it in a different perspective when you understand uh, that a guy was dealing with some serious injuries and played through them. Um, and, and that deserves respect just for being out there. We all talk about availability uh, and the importance of that. So it changes the dynamic of an assessment that you might make on a player when you realize what he was dealing with. Now, I'll say this about Max Crosby. And again, today, watching him, um, he was flying around the field, and he looked really good. And he, as he said afterwards, he's getting closer and closer to being 100%. Um, but one of the one of the uh, you know um, one of the things that I have said, and I still believe this to be the case, is that I think Max Crosby will benefit from a role where I, I'm, you want to call it reduced role, you could call it whatever you want. But the fact of the matter is, or the key to the matter is, him playing less snaps than he played last year. He he was a more productive player as a rookie playing. I have to look how it's almost 200 less snaps in 2019 compared to 2020, and um, he was more productive, just a more efficient player, playing fewer snaps in 2019 compared to 2020, and that indicates two things to me. Number one, in retrospect, we realize that he was hurt, um, and so he was dealing with that. But in addition to that, um. There, there's sometimes a point in time where it's diminished returns. If you play somebody so much, what, what do you think is going to happen sometimes? Guys get tired. Guys get fatigued. Guys get hurt more. They're more susceptible uh, to, to injuries. Um, sometimes the flaws that players have, and every, pl- every player uh, has a flaw, trust me, gets exploited more often. And so you play them too many snaps – and the efficiency sometimes goes down um, as a result, and I think that was the, that's been the case for um, you know for Max. And so I think that bringing in Yannick Ngakwe and, and some of the changes that they've made along the defensive line is going to create a deeper rotation. Whether Max starts or not, um, he's going to have a huge role. But I think because of the additions, he's going to play fewer snaps. And long, you know, assuming everybody stays healthy. Um, I think his snap efficiency is going to increase, and that's going to make for a better player and a better defensive line for the Raiders. So uh, watching him today coming off the two injuries uh, and two situations that he was dealing with yesterday, he looked he looks to be in great shape. He was flying around. We're going to go out to the Raider Nation guest line or listener line, uh, Incognito for real. <laughs> that's his name, Incognito for real, uh, wants to talk about Yannick Ngagwe. How are you doing, Incognito for real? Hey, I'm pretty good, Vinny, man. First time caller. Uh, I just wanted to know uh, if you had any kind of details of what's going on with Yannick Ngakwe while he's not out of practice right now. Uh, I don't have the exact details, but I wouldn't worry about it. <laughs> you know, um, you know as, as you look through that whole situation, you just signed a contract. So, uh, you know, sometimes money is a factor. I don't believe money is a factor here. You just literally signed a new contract with the Raiders. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't, think, I don't think it's anything 
that there's any animosity or anything like that. Uh, Max Crosby said that he, that you know uh, that he's going to get get in here pretty soon. So uh, I wouldn't read too much into that. There's you know this is voluntary. There's no question about it. We've talked about that sliding scale of what voluntary means for certain players compared to other players. Somebody like a Yannick Ngakwe is an established player and you know has has built up a reputation and as a result uh, a trustworthiness uh, about him. So um, and so when you get because of that. You know, there are certain times uh, during periods of the year where maybe you've got a family situ- situation to deal with. Maybe there's a scheduling conflict. Um, there's, there could be all different reasons why guys get a day off here or a day off there. Uh, but I don't know the exact details. We'll try to find out um, exactly what, uh, you know, exactly what, we're, 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 what he's dealing with and why he wasn't here today and, and whether he'll be here moving forward. Uh, but getting back to, to Max Crosby, um, you know, I did ask him about – uh, keeping his injuries on the down low last year, and here's what he had to say. Uh, nothing really. Um, you know, that's part of the game. You gotta, you know, deal with certain things and injuries, and you know, there's a lot of a lot of things that go on in a football season. It's a long season. People get hurt. People, you know, deal with other things. So, you know, it is what it is. I'm just glad I'm uh, healthy and looking forward to next year. That's Max Crosby talking about the injuries that nobody really knew he was dealing with uh, last year, and there, there's there's some respect um, in that. You know what I'm saying? There's there's respect in playing through it. There's a respect in being available and accountable. And I think that Max Crosby, um, by 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 showing up, by being present, by not ever taking a day off or a snap off. Obviously, you play 200 more snaps. Uh, last year than he did the year before uh, is earns people's respect. Uh, but at the same time, it's good to see that he's healthy. It's good to see that he's flying around out there looking great. And I think that he's in line for a big year, whatever the role might be. And, you know, it's no knock on anybody, especially in today's NFL where uh, so much of football is situational and matchup uh, oriented. Um, I think that Gus Bradley and Rod Marinelli, uh, are, are pretty much masters at being able to figure out what it is that players do really well and trying to exploit that and take advantage of it as much as possible. And, and this is what we know about Max Crosby. He knows how to get to the quarterback. And that is a elite type of a skill that is very, very much needed, obviously, uh, in the NFL. And I think what the Raiders would like to do is maximize that ability. And sometimes the way to do that is to scale back. And, and probably the same thing with, with Ngakwe. You know, Ngakwe isn't, you know, one of the great run stoppers uh, in the NFL. There's, there's some flaws in his game in that regard, as there is, you know, uh, with, with Max Crosby. Nobody, there's no perfect player. And what you do, what good coaches do, is try to figure out how to work around um, the areas that aren't as proficient proficient and maximize the areas that are proficient. And I think you can do that when you do what the Raiders have seemingly done. And obviously it's got to carry over onto the grass and guys got to step up and, and, and do their part. But I think one of the things that the Raiders did a good job of, at least on paper during the offseason, was collecting a bunch of different type defensive linemen that could do a bunch of different types of things. You know, you don't, it's it's, sometimes you have the one guy that could do everything basically, uh, whether you're talking about interior or or off of the edge, uh, a guy that could stop the run and be a premier pass rusher. Um, But, 
you know, those guys are, are elite, elite, elite players. And sometimes you just have to kind of uh, patchwork it together in, and, and figure out situationally um, how, to, how to take advantage of guys like this guy might do this really well and that guy might do that really well and, and, and build a rotation or a depth chart that reflects everything that you need from a defensive lineman. It might not come in one body. It might not come in two bodies. But if you can collect a bunch of bodies that can all do a bunch of different certain things, um, then you're, you're able to, to cover all your bases, basically. And I think that's what the Raiders have tried to do. And um, we'll see if it worked. But if it does work, there's, there's no question there's capable players along the defensive line uh, this year and more uh, an array of talent, an array of bodies uh, that if, if everybody can just chip in, everybody can just do what it is that they do well, uh, this, this Raiders defensive line is in a really good position to be better. And that includes Max Crosby and Cleve Farrell, who now heading into year three could be closing in on, on really pushing to their uh, ceilings and also smoothing over some of the flaws and accentuating even more some of the strengths to become more complete players. And both of those players, you know, are, are that, that's, what they're, that's what the next challenge is, is to become more complete players. Again, there's no perfect players, very rare anyway, in the NFL. But if you can really strengthen some of those weak points and accentuate uh, the, the strong points, you put yourself in a, in a position to be a really, really valuable football player. Kobe Bryant, Magic Johnson, guys that I've been around, you know, over my years covering sports, you know, when they would go work out, they weren't working on their strengths necessarily. Yeah, they paid attention to it. They stayed on top of it. They stayed sharp. But every offseason, Kobe, Magic, those type of guys, Michael Jordan, what did they do? Or any good player, they go and strengthen their weaknesses. That becomes the focus during the offseason is to get better at what you don't do as well. And if you can continually do that and time is on your side in the offseason and everyone's, you know, on, a, on, a, on their own journey, so you don't get to be able to – sometimes you, you can't get to everything in an offseason. But if you keep chipping away throughout various offseasons, you know, by the time you're in year three and year four, all of a sudden you're a pretty darn good, solid, all-around player. And I think for Max Crosby and, and Cleve Farrell, it'll be interesting to see if they close in on – being more complete players in year three. I think that's the goal and that's the objective. We're going to go back out to the Raider Nation listener line. Sammy wants to talk about Cleve Farrell. How you doing, Sammy? Yo, Vincenzo. How you doing, my brother? I'm doing good, man. Thank you. All right, man. Man, it must have been fun being out there, seeing these players, man, and just running around out there, huh? Yep, it sure was. Absolutely. Love right this time on. of year. Right on. So listen, man, I had a question for you. Maybe you can help me out. I'm originally from Chicago, and um, back in the day, the Cubs had this player named Jeff Samarja. He was a Notre Dame wide receiver who also was a pitcher, and he panned out for him quite well. But the issue was, early in his career, he struggled with going from the bullpen to the starter, from the starter to the bullpen, back to starter. And listening to Cleveland Farrell saying the biggest difference that he's noticed is that they want to take away all of the thinking. They just want them to react. Uh, do you think that's kind of stunned the growth? First of all, do, do you think that happens in the NFL with players? Do you think Cleveland Farrell maybe have struggled a bit, bouncing from defensive tackle to defensive end, back to defensive tackle? Or, or is it just all schematics? Just go out there and do your job. 
I don't think that was necessarily um, the case uh, for Cleve Farrell, uh, but um, he, he did that in college. So I think that you know he had a pretty good understand. He has a pretty good understanding of, of the differences at, at each position. Um, now I'm not saying it's perfect or it's seamless uh, because that isn't always the case. But I think where where Clee was talking, where other people, other players have 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 touched on this as well, uh, going from Paul Gunther's system now to Gus Bradley's system is that you know the volume of the playbook and the intricacies of the playbook and the deepness of the playbook and all the subplots from you know all the various looks and schemes and fronts and packages and all that kind of stuff sometimes there can be a paralysis by analysis where you find yourself out there thinking a little bit too much i mean think about this you know uh, sammy and whatever it is that you do um Aren't you just best when when you're not even thinking when it's second nature when it's just coming kind of naturally to you, and uh, you, you 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 filter out all the clutter and just get focused on what it is that you have to do because you have an understanding of it you have a command of it um, and that gives you confidence uh, and that allows you to do what do your job freely you know and and better really and so yeah I think there were cases last year these last couple of years but I you know I, I covered the team from you know start to finish last year, uh, you can see, like, I, I, I looked at Corey Littleton uh, a lot because I had covered him the, the previous three years, and I saw what kind of a player he was, and I saw the intelligence, and I saw the instincts, and I saw the playmaking uh, ability, and when he was with the Rams, he was kind of playing with, with you know, the, sort of this freedom, and, um, you know, and it allowed him just to go run around making plays. Now, I'm not Taking away anything about the intellect because that comes that that's that's part of it. It's actually what I'm talking about. When you have an intellect of what it is that you're doing or a better understanding of what it is that you're doing, um, you're just going to play better. And sometimes to get to that point, you sometimes as a coach have to understand. Look, I need to scale it back a little bit. <laughs> you know, let them command and conquer what it is that we want to try to do, even if it's you know, uh, just by, by reducing what it is that we're trying to do and just let them master that part of it. And, and if you can get to that point, you should be fine. And, and I think that's Gus Bradley has kind of been known for that. Uh, he doesn't have the big, vast playbook. Uh, he tries to minimize that and, and, then, and then, you know, become experts at what it is that they do do by, by reducing, um, you know, the volume of it. We'll see if it works. I'm... I'm and if Clee's talking, and a lot of these guys have been talking about, you know, the freedom that they feel to go out and, and, and play in a playbook that is probably a little bit more understandable. And as a result, uh, you can execute it a little bit easier at a higher level and, and in a more confident manner. If that comes across, then you're going to see that reflected on the field. Too often last year, when you looked at the mistakes, when you looked at the guys looking at each other, kind of like, where were you supposed to be? I was over here. I thought you were doing this. It just felt like there was a disconnect uh, too often. And I think that if the Raiders can start avoiding that, uh, they're going to be in, a, in business defensively. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. You're listening to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Now, back to your host, Vinny Bonsignor. I think it's a competitive advantage for us to be here working right now. Um, we're a young team. We're learning a new defense, uh, offense. We're trying to sharpen our tools to uh, be more productive, put up more points, put more pressure on teams. 
And uh, it's just great. It's great for team building, great to be around the guys. Uh, Coach Gruden's taking good care of us as far as walkthroughs and uh, keeping things down tempo. But uh, it was important for us. You know, the, the offseason kind of started off with uh, the NFLPA and their agenda. And, uh, you know, we released a statement. But a couple days later, we came together and we were like, listen, other teams are working. We are uh, at a competitive disadvantage if we're not working. Let's get our asses back there and get to work. That is the uh, voice of Richie Incognito, uh, the Raiders' left guard, and he's back um, looking good, too. Uh, remember, uh, only played two games last year because of the Achilles tendon injury. Uh, that cost him 14 games. Um, and when he left, a big chunk of nastiness left with him. Uh, Richie Incognito just has a way about him. Um, on the field, off the field, uh, what he means to a run game, the toughness that he brings uh, to the run game. And it's no secret, you know, people want to go, well, you know, Josh Jacobs, uh, his yards per carry went down from like 4.8 to 3.9, somewhere along there. Yeah, uh, the, the running game was not as efficient last year as it was the year before. Not having Richie Incognito is a huge part of that. We mentioned uh, Alec Ingold uh, later in the year, uh, broke two ribs. Uh, he's a huge part of that run game in terms of the block, the blocking. Uh, but Richie Incognito brings a chip on his shoulder and a nastiness that you need to have in the run game. And um, and it was it was good to see him out there as well. And I love his term of. Uh, the union's agenda, which is exactly what it was. It was an agenda. This wasn't about COVID-19. This wasn't about trying to protect the players. Um, it, it, was, it was dumb. It was not leadership. It was the opposite of leadership. I think players saw right through it. They, they, they did their vote out of obligation. They put the uh, statement out that the players' union wrote for them. And then they decided, yeah, but we're going to go out and work, which they should. Um, this is a competitive business. If you want to win, you want to get better, uh, you do everything that you need to do to get better. We're going to go out to the Raider Nation guest line and welcome in our good friend, Evan Grote. Thanks for joining us, Evan. How are you doing today? I'm good, Vinny. How are you? Doing good. Uh, just got a chance to uh, to watch uh, a good portion of practice today, so, uh, so feel good to see um, – you know, a football team at this time of year. It's something that we didn't have the luxury of doing last year. And frankly, I missed it. I, I personally believe there's a lot to take from OTAs, whether you're a player, a coach, an executive, a fan, or a media member. Uh, this is a really important time of year for what happens later on uh, down the road. Anything from, from your perspective uh, in monitoring it uh, that, that kind of jumped out at you today? Well, I tell you, I, I missed it too. And, and although I'm not in your shoes, I'm not out there covering the team. I do, I do kind of cover them from afar with the podcast, and and obviously as a fan. And I missed seeing your coverage and, and some of your colleagues and their coverage. I love getting the the tweets and, and the photos and the videos that you guys are able to send. So that kind of gives me and, and and the fan base the fix that we're looking for. But you know, I, I was just actually listening to. Um, some of the press conferences from, from some of the guys that who spoke with the media today. And, you know, I like what I'm hearing. Um, I like a couple of the things I heard from Steve Farrell uh, talking about how, how the defense, uh, you know, should be uh, a little bit simplified this year. Uh, the goal is to get uh, the players playing a lot faster, thinking less, playing faster, creating turnovers, and, and making plays. So I, I really like what I had to, what he had to say. And uh, one of the other uh, nuggets that I, 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 really, really like to hear is Jonathan Abram talking about how he's going to be moving up 
into the a, a more of a box safety this year. And I think that's 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 the way he should be utilized. That's you're going to be um, you know accentuating his best strength, which is is his physicality and, and using him close to the line of scrimmage and just allowing him uh, to to use his greatest asset, which is you know he loves to hit people. So let's get him up closer to the line of scrimmage where he can just you know, dial in and do what he does best. So those are some of the takeaways from the conferences that I heard today. Yeah, uh, I agree. And, uh, you know, I tweeted this out as well, uh, but Damon Arnett looks to be in terrific shape. Um, and it was just in stark contrast because I remember exactly where I was when, when Damon came back off the wrist surgery. We were in the uh, indoor facility Um I forget what time of year it was. It might have been November, I think it was, or somewhere. It was, he had missed about eight weeks, nine weeks or so. And he comes back the first time that I had seen him since he had underwent the surgery. And, you know, frail is a relative term. Um, you know, I don't want to make him sound like he was a 90-year-old man or anything like that. But frail in relation to what he was previously. He just looked physically less than he was prior to the injury. And, you know, obviously we've talked about it, not being able to get into the weight room when you have a big old cast on your hand is going to do that to you. And it sure looks like he's put uh, a lot of time in on the physical end of things uh, during this offseason, which can only bode well for him uh, moving forward. In his case, now a lot of what I watched him today was he was observing. He was talking to Coach Ron Milas uh, and the staff kind of watching, um, it, just in the period periods that we were there, uh, watching things and learning. And they were talking. You could tell that they were trying to visually show him things. Um, so we'll see when he finally gets out, you know, out there on the field and when we can watch him on the field. But what are you hoping for uh, or expecting, I should say, maybe, um, either case from Damon Arnett in year two? I actually I did see your tweet that you put out about him, you know, putting on some size, and I was I was happy to hear that because, um, you know, that was one of the the things that we heard from from Mike Mayock about uh, not only Damon Arnett but also Henry Ruggs. They wanted to see both of those guys really hit the weight room hard in this off season, uh, put on some size, put on some strength, and and just kind of uh, get their bodies uh, more more uh, you know able to, to, to handle the rigors of, of the NFL, you know, the long season. Now the, the season this year is going to be 17-game schedule. So it is good to hear that Arnett, you know, did, did take that advice seriously. Um, you know, with, with Arnett, this is the way I look at it. He's got a great opportunity here um, to, to try to win that job, that, that starting cornerback job opposite of Trayvon Mullen. Now they bring in the, the veteran, Casey Hayward, who – you know he's more familiar with the system. He's he's played under Coach Gus Bradley, so I think that obviously that that helps very well for uh, Casey Hayward. But I think if you were to ask the coaching staff who they would rather see win this job, they, I wouldn't be surprised to hear them say Damon Arnett. I mean, this is a guy who uh, they invested a first round draft pick in, and, and you know uh, didn't play like a first round draft pick last year. You mentioned some of the injuries and the setbacks that he had, and those. You know, those things are, are real things. Um, but, you know, he's got to take a big step forward this year. There's no doubt about it. I'd love to see him win that job uh, as, as the starting uh, corner opposite uh, of Trayvon Mullen, and, and that would allow you to maybe move Casey Hayward into the slot if you, if you want to do so. But, you know, he's got a lot to prove this year. There's no doubt about it. But the first step, as you mentioned, was, was putting some size on. He seems to be limited, as you said, in practice right now. Hopefully – in the near future, he can get out there and, and show us that he's, uh, you know, not only did he get bigger phys- or better physically, but uh, mentally that, you know, he's where he needs to be this year as well. 
Yeah, uh, no question about it. And we're talking to uh, our good friend uh, Evan Grote, uh, just uh, pod baby. Um, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the linebackers, and um, it just kind of, you know, dawned on me watching it. Uh, the, I'm a little bit worried uh, about the depth behind the starters. Uh, Corey Littleton, Nick Wachowski, Nicholas Morrow. Once you get past those, th- those three, uh, you start – Murking around in some untested, unknown uh, quantities, for sure. I mean, when you start talking about Javin White, Max Richardson, uh, Tanner Muse, uh, Asmar uh, uh, Bilal, and uh, James Anawalu, um, both of whom uh, played a little bit with uh, under under Gus Bradley in, with the Chargers, but there really isn't anything behind those three pl- those three players that give you a lot of certainty. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Divine Diablo will be in the mix uh, as well, but even he is making a move from college safety to to, uh, NFL linebacker. Are you a little worried about the linebacker depth? Absolutely. I absolutely am, and I think it was a major problem last year as well. It's actually been a problem for a number of years, is is linebacker depth, which was part of the reason why I was totally on board with you um, with with the idea of drafting – Parsons, if, if if he had fallen to the Raiders in the draft, but obviously that did not happen. And and yeah, I, I'm with you 100. percent I think the depth behind the, uh, the three starters, as you mentioned, is, is very very thin. Uh, Javen White, Tanner Muse, and Diablo are all players who are, are making a transition from a safety position to the linebacker position in the NFL. And you know that has not gone so well with the Raiders in recent years. I mean, I guess you could, you could give. Uh, Tanner Muse a little bit of slack because he was injured last year, but the Lynn Bowden uh, fiasco, that did not go over well at all. He was traded before the season even began. So I do have some questions and some concerns about how, um, you know, the the transition for a guy like Divine Diablo is going to go. It it does sound like Javen White, though, showed some flashes based on what I have heard from from guys like yourself and other uh, beat writers who cover the team. He sounds like he might be the guy who's, who's closest or, or next in line, I should say. But uh, there's a ton of question marks with, with Tanner Muse. What are they going to get from him? Um, and, and, you know, and I got a question for you. Does, does it raise some concerns for you? Because w- w- the way I felt about it is when they went ahead and drafted a guy like Divine Diablo, who's essentially the same kind of player um, as a Tanner Muse, are they already kind of throwing the towel in a guy like, you know, for a guy like Tanner Muse? That was one of the questions that I had. How do you feel about that, Vinny? No, and I'll tell you why. Um, I talked to Tanner Muse about this uh, not long ago, and uh, he was telling me about how um, he was cross-training at all three linebacker spots last year and will continue to do so this year, as will Divine Diablo. And he made a tremendous point that we often overlook. He's like, this isn't college anymore where you've got 100 guys standing over there on the sidelines at home games and a bunch of them on during road games where you could just dip into you, – you could go to the walk-ons if you wanted. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? To go find a guy to be able to play that particular position. If you have to dig deep into your depth chart, you have enough bodies. In the NFL, it's 53 guys, and of which 46 or so dress out during the game. So if you're – fortunate enough to be on the 46-man game day roster or whatever it's going to be this year, Uh, if you're an offensive lineman, you better be able to play multiple positions, or at least one or two of those guys need to do that. If you're a cornerback, you better be able to play the slot and the perimeter. If you're a safety, you better be able to play both safety positions. And if you're a linebacker, especially as a reserve, 
you got to play all three positions because you never know when you're going to be pressed into duty and oftentimes you are. So I think that there could, you know, because of the way they cross train these guys and all, all, both of those guys are going to learn how to play uh, all three positions. By the time it all shakes out and let's say this is a year or two down the road, you can theoretically see both of those guys, if they pan out, you know, that's, that's the key to the whole thing, on the field together. Play, one playing one linebacker position, another playing another linebacker position. To me, that all can get sorted out. But the importance of having guys that can play multiple positions because the numbers are so finite when it comes to that game day roster, I, there's room for both of those guys. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a great point you make there. And one of the other things that I wanted to mention that I, that I forgot to mention was you know, the majority of the time in the NFL nowadays, most defenses are playing more time in the nickel than, than in their base defenses. So, you know, you, you generally are only seeing two linebackers on the field at one time. It's, it's, it's almost rare these, these days where you're going to see all three of those linebackers, uh, Littleton, Morrow, and, and Kwiatkowski, on the field together. So, you know, if, if you're a team that lacks depth, the fact that you play a lot of nickel should help you out a little bit more if there does happen to be any injuries along the way. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and so much, too, is about situational football and uh, packaged you know, uh, defenses to, to deal with whatever that situation might be. Today, watching Tanner Muse, uh, he was out there um, lining up uh, you know, in the slot as a slot defender uh, at times. He was, he was lined up as a traditional kind of you know, where you would normally see him uh, as a Will linebacker or as a Mike linebacker. So um, w- what I think is going to happen, what I, especially early on in these guys' career, where you're looking more for situational uh, type coverage is that they'll come up with packages to get guys on the field to fit certain situations. That's what the Rams did with Corey Littleton that set his second year where it was like, hey, this guy can make plays and he wasn't in the starting lineup. And if you weren't really, really looking, you probably didn't even know he was out there. But the Rams slowly but surely started building in some situational uh, packages for him to get on the field because he was making plays. And so I think that's what you're probably going to, barring an injury, of course, to one of the starters. But as you build both of those players into solid everyday uh, players, every snap type players, you're at this point going to take advantage of what it is that they do and try to get them on the field to maximize that if they can show in practice that they're capable of doing it. And I would think, I, I, I have a feeling by the end of the year, both of those guys are going to see some time. That, that's interesting. That is, that is an interesting little tidbit there. And, you know, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think Corey Littleton is a, is a really good example of, of, of kind of what we're saying here is, you know, these are guys who Muse was, was talked about last year when he was drafted as being primarily a, a special teams guy. So he's going to have to earn his way there. And I assume uh, Divine Diablo will kind of be in a similar situation. These are guys who are going to have to kind of prove their, you know, earn their stripes through special teams in practice, and then, you know, like you said, it, maybe if there's an injury or through good play in practice, they might earn themselves some more, uh, some, some playing time in, in certain situations. So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep, I'm gonna keep that in the back of my mind that, that, that you think, uh, don't be surprised, Divine Diablo or, or Tanner Muse uh, getting some playing time at the end of the year. That's a good one. Yeah, and, and, you know, it, that's the position that you want. To me anyway, uh, Evan, we're, we're talking to Evan Grote. You could follow him uh, at eGrote5, uh, and he also is the host of uh, Just Pod Baby. 
Um, but, you know, you want to be in a position where you're drafting. And I, I think fans sometimes, Evan, take this the wrong way. You drafted a special teams player? In the, no, <laughs> they didn't draft a special teams player. What they're saying is right off the bat, we're going to pretty much assume that he's going to be able to handle special teams because we're okay with our starting three linebackers as is. So we're kind of projecting what is it we're going to be able to get from him for sure right off the bat. Special teams. That doesn't mean that's the cap or the ceiling. It just means that that's kind of the plan early on while you make the transition to being an NFL player. Uh, Evan Grote, as usual, thank you so much for spending some time with us. Uh, we'll check back with you hopefully next week uh, when, we, when we get back into the building to watch these guys again and see what kind of progress they made. Uh, appreciate the time and the insight, man. Thank you very much. No, I appreciate you anytime, Vinny. Thank you very much. All right, you too. That's Evan Grote. You could follow him, E. Grote. Five, and he is the host of Just Pod Baby. We always enjoy having him. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Envato. You're listening to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Now, back to your host, Vinny Bonsignor. I mean, things are going pretty good. Um, you know, um, pretty much going down to pretty much what they call the box safety, the strong safety. Um, it's been pretty, you know, it's interesting, you know, going from what we went to last year, playing a lot of split safety, playing high. Um, so this is kind of, you know, I feel like it's going to be more suitable to, you know, my talents and my strengths. So I look forward to this year, you know, and just getting ready to come back, you know, for each day, to, you know, tomorrow, OTAs, finishing up strong with mini camp, and then coming back for training camp, you know, just trying to get everything down pat. You know, when you think about it, um, guys like Jonathan Abram, that's who we just heard from, Raider Safety. By the way, you're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor on um, Raider Nation Radio, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. It's a big year uh, for Jonathan Abram. This is usually where you make your move um, as an NFL player, if you haven't already. Um, This stage of your career. We've talked about this a lot where, you know, it's always about that second contract. You know, getting here is one thing to the NFL. Staying here, that's a whole other animal. And that's always, you know, the goal. The numbers, frankly, don't favor it happening. And it happens It happens less often than you think. Uh, somebody like a Jonathan Abram, this is a guy who has all the ability, all the physicality. He wants it. He's tough. Um, he likes contact. He doesn't shy away from that. And I think that if you look at a Jonathan Abram and look at what some of the issues have been in the past, and and make no mistake, there's been games and and instances where Jonathan Abram, you know, showed everybody what he's capable of doing. What's lacked in Jonathan Abram's game has been consistency. What's lacked in Jonathan Abram's game um, has been you know, I don't want to call it discipline because I don't think that's the, actually the right word to use, although some form or fashion of it comes into play. But it's the, um, it's the understanding that you can't make the big play every play. And trying to do that, trying to make the big play every day, I don't necessarily think is a lack of discipline. It's just kind of how some guys are wired and – Sometimes you got to, we've talked about scaling back the playbook a little bit, um, you know, scaling back snaps for certain players or, or players in general, um, especially on defense. It's such a taxing job 
where you need your rest um, to get you through a game, to get you through a season. And sometimes by scaling snaps back, you can get a better player out of it, a more efficient player out of it. And sometimes just mindset, scaling it back just enough. Not You can't throttle it all the way down because then you're, you know, you're taking away something that, that, that is important, that makes you kind of who you are. And big plays are certainly something that Jonathan Abram is used to. But the problem sometimes can be you're making big plays sometimes for your team, but sometimes you're, you're, um, the, the, res- you're, you're, the way you're playing can sometimes result in big plays by the other team. It's one thing if, if, you know, if you, when you have to tip your cap to another team, they made a great play, they executed it beautifully and perfectly, and that's the way it goes at this level. You just shake it off and come back strong for the next play. It's a whole other thing when what you did, your own actions – contributed to the big play. And I think that that's Jonathan Abram um, has found himself on that end of the spectrum, you know, too many times uh, early in his career. But something like that can honestly be coached up. That's not a physical thing. That's not something like, you know, where you're the coaching staff and you're like, this guy just can't do (laughs) what we're asking him to do. I mean, he's just, he's not physically able to do it. That's a whole other issue than if he just scaled it back a little bit, if he just, you know, learned to see things a little bit better and to be more um, judicial in his chance taking, he'll be a much better player for that. You don't want to, you know, coach it completely out of him. You sometimes have to go make plays and you have to let instincts take over uh, and, and, and go make the play. Even if it's sometimes breaking off uh, the script, there's a, there's, you know, when a play needs to be made in the middle of a play, you got to go make the play. And certain guys have that ability and certain guys don't. I think Jonathan Abram actually has that ability to be able to, you know, break it off, see something on the field and go do something about it. But you also need to be able to just play your assignment and play it with discipline and caution and prudence and and just be a solid, efficient player. Um, That's where you need to be, when you need to be there, and make the play when it's in front of you. Rather than taking an overabundance of chances in the quest of making the big play. And he talked about that today, about, you know, just understanding that fine line. Um, And I think that you know, hearing him this year compared to last year, or last year, we're going to get to Joe, uh, who's waiting uh, on, on hold in, in Los Angeles. If you could just give me one second, we'll get right to you, Joe. Um, last year, you know, remember, Jonathan Abram was coming off an injury that cut his rookie season down to one half of the season upper. That dude was raring to go uh, last year, raring to go. And I'm not going to say he was done a bit of a disservice, but it didn't help Jonathan Abram last year at all. And in fact, if there's a one guy that you can look to and say, man, he missed OTAs and being able to get into the building more than anybody. It was it was Jonathan Abram uh, because and, and Joe, we'll get to you uh, as soon as the uh, when we get on the other side, not being able to rehab in the building. Remember, nobody was allowed to go into buildings last year because of COVID-19. You couldn't get into the building. All buildings across the league were closed, shut down uh, from what was it? March. Till training camp. Literally, you couldn't get in. 
And if this is a guy coming off a serious injury who needed that time in the building to rehab and to get better and to uh, reacclimate himself to the system and everything else, and he missed out on all of that, and he was just raring to go, champing at the bit by the time training camp came around, I think that being able to take this process just a little bit slower now, um, you know, coming off the injury, being healthy, getting into the building now, getting all the proper work in is going to help him. And that position change that he talked about. When we get back, uh, Joe, uh, hang on, we'll get right back to you. Uh, but we're also going to talk about Jonathan Abram and the importance of a guy by the name of Ron Milas. Uh, to Jonathan Abram and Damon Arnett and Trayvon Mullen. Trayvon Mullen looked good today, by the way. Uh, and all that, uh, all the other youngsters in that secondary when we get back in the huddle. Vinny Bonsignor, Tequila Embajador. <laughs> 